HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards & Sons, third-generation cure masters producing the country's best dry-cured and aged hams, bacon, and sausage. For more information, visit surreyfarms.com. Hi, this is Celia Kutcher, host of Animal Instinct, and you are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Listening to Eat Your Words on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kathy Irway, and it's a beautiful fall afternoon. We're here, as usual, at Roberta's Pizza, um, but it's a very fitting environment to be talking with our current guest today. Uh, he's just published a book called DiPaolo's Guide to the Essential Foods of Italy. And I had the pleasure of actually meeting uh, Mr. DiPaolo uh, at a food event a few weeks ago, and it was very clear within a very short amount of time that his depth of knowledge about regional Italian foods and uh, particularly cheeses uh, at that event is astronomical. So I'm very excited that you've... Um, yeah, thank you very much for coming out with this book. And so we may glean maybe a fraction of your knowledge about Italian food. Well, it's great to be here. And, uh, you know, you could call me Lou. Okay. Okay, and uh, you know, yeah, absolutely. We, this you know, is Lou DiPaolo, by the way. <laughs> we've, we've been very uh, privileged to represent not only the Italian immigrants here in New York City, mm-hmm. but the Italian foods of Italy. Absolutely. For over a hundred years. So to back up a little bit, DiPaolo's is uh, a store in Little Italy in, in Manhattan, and it is one of those places that many people refer to as a New York institution, and that is more so much more than a store, but a hallmark of heritage in the city, um, sort of like we would call Katz's Deli. Um, so 140 years. 104. 104. 104. Going back right. to my great-grandfather, Savino DiPaolo, right. 1910. He settled in New York City's Little Italy in 1903 and opened the first shop in 1910. A simple latteria. What is a latteria? A dairy. And today we continue that same tradition as he started, making the cheese all by hand, a fresh Mm -hmm. dairy. And you've been running it for 40 years now. Well, uh, let's let's put it this way. I've been been one of the caretakers Uh for the last 40 years plus. Because uh, when we say who's running the store, who's the owner of the store, I always point to a wall, and we have this mosaic of a photograph of 
my grandfather and my grandmother. And we always point to them and say, they're the owners. Mm-hmm. We're just the caretakers. And you learned how to make cheese from an uncle of yours who had another Lotteria in It was my great uncle. City. Okay. My great uncle, my uh, grandmother's brother. And uh, it was a, a curious situation. You know, I wanted to learn how to make the cheese. And my father would always put me off on it and say, mm-hmm. he said, go to Uncle Morris. Go to Uncle Morris. He had a shop in Brooklyn in Red Hook. And so I said, okay. So I used to go after uh, school. I used to go to Uncle Morris's place and I used to go there. And one by one, he used to show me how to make this cheese, ricotta, another one, cachotta, finally the fresh mozzarella. And uh, I went to my father. I said, Dad, you know, how come you, you never wanted to teach me? How come you had no patience to teach your son? And he looked at me and he said, who do you think taught me how to make the cheese? was Uncle Morris. Okay. Because it was my father's uncle, my great uncle. Mm-hmm. And it was a certain comfort in knowing that my father wanted me to learn from who taught him. Your father wanted you to know the best possible way to know <laughs> how to make cheese, and I, you know, his estimation. And, and I realized that, yeah. you know, how important it was for him to have me go there. Right. Well, I we also have a guest today who who knows a bit about... A little bit more than me about the foods of Italy because she traveled with Lou throughout Italy a couple times to help write this book. It's Rachel Wharton. Hello. I also wanted to say that the <laughs> Lotteria where you learned, you can still see the sign on the wall of the building, the paint hand, there was paintings on, on Union, right? You can still see the paintings of the, the cheeses that they used to make up on the wall. On Union? If you drive, if you're on the BQE, you can look up and see that they're still painted on the wall of the building. Union and Hick Street. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it's yeah. like Carroll Gardens. Uh-huh. Yeah, yes. okay. The, it's like the waterfront. They call it the waterfront district now, right? Right, right. right. Okay, Red Hook. <laughs> um, great. So so tell me a little bit about making this book. I know you guys did some traveling and um, to capture like a lot of the stories. And I, I thought it was really interesting how you said, you know, talking about making ch- fresh cheeses when you went to Italy. Um, you saw people making cheeses just like Uncle Morris was. You see, when I started to go back to Italy over 40 years ago, mm-hmm. actually the one and only time in about 70 trips to Italy that I went there for, I guess you could call it a vacation, it was my honeymoon. It was then when I realized I used to get my wife Connie up every morning early. I said, come on, we got to go to this cheese factory or we got to go to this prosciutto factory. And She wasn't... She went along with it. She was a young girl at the time, very young, and she went along with it. But it was then when I realized that I needed to really get involved and understand not only the method of making the cheese, but actually the traditions behind it. I had needed to meet the people that have done it for generations, even way before uh, Mm -hmm. my family had done it. And I love a quote from you in the book. Uh, You said, I want to see the traditions of every product that I sell. I want to see the passion. I want to meet the little farmer. I want to see how it was done hundreds of years ago rather than how it is automated today. So, and then that, in turn, um, over the last several decades, you've been bringing in um, a lot of different products other than, you know, cheese to sell at this now, not only a latteria, but a store. Absolutely. We... We have expanded our business over 100 years. Originally a small latteria, my grandfather, my great-grandfather both. Then my father and my uncle continued. They added more items like some salumi, which is cured meats and cooked meats of Italy. 
pastas. When uh, we continued the business, my sister Marie, my brother Sal, and myself, we started to expand into a lot of specialty items of Italy. As I went to Italy, I rediscovered these new, old products. What mm-hmm. I mean by new products that haven't really been uh, represented well in the United States. Okay. And I needed to bring them to the attention of the American consumer. And today, the fifth generation, our children, continue expanding our business in in Italian wines and spirits. So we need, we have, as I mentioned before, we represent the Italian immigrants, but we also represent Italy mm-hmm. today through the foods of Italy. And that's the mission that we have taken. At DePaul's. Never losing sight of where we came from, our roots. Right. The, the small Lateria. We always remain that. And it was, it came time that I needed to document this, document it for the previous generations, for the sacrifices they made to help us have a better life today. But at the same time, I was a realist. I'm a cheesemaker. I'm a cheese Mm guy. (laughs) I'm not a writer. And I needed someone that had the experience in writing and someone that had uh, the love of food Right. And someone that would understand 100% my voice. And I found that person in Rachel. And I was very fortunate for the last uh, two and a half years to work with Rachel. And I wanted to give her the opportunity to share some of my experiences in Italy. And I brought it to the special places in Italy that mean very much to mm-hmm. me and, and, and shared that experience of passion of those people so she can understand when I speak how to really put it down mm-hmm. in script she did a fantastic job thank you I was actually just thinking sitting here thinking that I only tried to make mozzarella once and I really should I should, I should try and master I should try at least another time <laughs> well what, okay so what were you blown away with when you went to Italy and you saw some of these fav- favorite spots oh I mean well all of it and it's mm-hmm. we did so much in such a short amount of time it's kind of it's all it's like packed away in my brain and then <laughs> and then i look back at my pictures and i was like oh my god we did that and we did that and we did that and that was all in like one morning typically if, um where to even begin i mean the, the the second trip which we took last i guess um, last october no, no june last june to basilicata where lou's great grandfather was from he was ta- when you mentioned the little farmer there was a real little farmer and he he made fresh cheeses in a little like an old like a cave pretty much under his house and he cooked he he, he did everything that lou does but he did it over a, a like a cauldron over a over a wood wood fire it was totally amazing to me that he still still did it that way not automated at all no <laughs> not, not in the least yeah and he made everything from scratch and um Lou, what's the cheese where the butter's inside it's called manteca or burini oh. and and oh, watching him make it was amazing and and that tradition was a way to recapture mm-hmm. the fat of of the cheese that's lost when you're making one cheese uh-huh. and that fat is literally butter fat and by Recooking it and working it up to a, a, a more thicker consistency, and then extruding the excess, excess moisture out of it, mm-hmm. you would place it in the middle of of the pasta filata, which is basically a stretches of mozzarella. Okay, and that would preserve that butter fat. So it's kind of like burrata, but no, butter. No, it, it, it's the same concept of okay. burrata, taking waste 
into wages, so mm-hmm. to speak. But that's by, cream with burrata, right? Burrata, no. burrata is also the butter fat, but then it's mixed with um, uh, shreds oh. of, of the mozzarella that, that was never congealed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Today we don't make burrata that way. We make burrata from, from, with fresh cream and using fresh stretches of the Whoa. mozzarella. I think I like the sound of the one with those shred leftover shreds. Well, and the, that's, that, that, that was a way cool. to recapture what was lost in the process of making initial cheese. Sounds great. And the butter, too, because it, he kind of collected spuma, is what you, right? That's it, where he collected the, it. Spuma was the, the excess fat that rose as you recooked. He called it ricotta. Mm-hmm. And ricotta simply means recooked. Mm-hmm. And when you would take the, um, the hot pot where you had all this butter fat that had accumulated, and you heated that temperature up to a very high temperature, approximately 180 degrees, what bubbled up to the top was that, that the layer of fat leaving the water below it. And he would collect all that spuma or crema or whatever you want to call it, the dialect of spuma, and rework it, allow it to set and dry a little bit, then rework it, squeeze out any extra moisture, and then you would have literally what I like to call whey butter. It's the most delicious, yes. creamiest... It's like cultured butter, but better. Cheesy butter. Yeah. It's really Cheesy good. butter. That's exactly the way I could describe it. And he kneaded it, like he, he kneaded it with his, oh, his gnarled hands. <laughs> and he, again, he did it all with just his hands. And, and you know what's, what's lost? Um, For years, up until I was maybe 11 or 12 years old, I remember my father used to collect all that leftover fat and put it in the big milk cans, you know, those old those milk cans, that mm-hmm. double-handled milk cans, and then just put it aside in the refrigerator. When he had it, half a dozen cans, he would call this feller up, he'd come and he would collect them, and at the time he would pay my father $25 for a milk can. And I said, Dad, what is he going to do with that? You know, this is, this is fat that was uh, maybe two weeks old. Oh, he's going to make butter with it. And he would go and he would take that and add it to more fresh cream and mm-hmm. make butter and then he would pack the butter in these sort of like pillow packs and then he would go and sell it mm. he would sell it back to us and we would sell that <laughs> butter and literally it had a cheesy flavor to it ah, it's really and that's, good and that's what we used to use to make the manteca as well we used to form it we never really did uh, oh. the traditional way that uh, the uh, farmer the in the yeah right but we used to use the butter that this fella made so oh, it was wow. a and it, it was really great and we still make that by the way manteca and it's still it's still pop i mean all these cheeses that you're preserving the heritage um the other products which we can get into it, it's still i mean it's not like this ant- antiquated you know niche thing i mean that lines outside of DePaulo will certainly tell that it is beloved well you know the lines come uh, are for a couple of reasons. Mm-hmm. One, we like to think they're there because everybody wants something special, and mm-hmm. we certainly have that to offer them. But it also comes with the fact that when your turn comes, we take a lot of time with yeah. each and every customer. It's uh, not how many people we serve, it's how we serve the people. And it does take a little bit of time. Sometimes people get a little uh, frustrated or honor- ornery about it, and they get a little annoyed and all but they know when their turn comes, they're going to get the best, the best quality, the best service, 
and we'd like to think at a reasonable price because the best is not cheap. Mm-hmm. We try not to be expensive, but unfortunately, when you buy something of a very high quality, it costs a little right. bit more. So that extra level of service is certainly something that is not not what you see every day today as well, as in the making, the automated, you know, uh, t- processing, tra- uh, not traditions, uh, methods that you see you today know, with the products. I like to say there's a right way to do mm-hmm. things, a wrong way, and there's my grandmother's way. And we maintain that tradition of my grandmother's way in, in service as well as uh, quality. Yeah, most modern stores try as hard as they can to make it so that you don't have to actually talk. The customer and the person working there don't the, have to talk. There is no person. There. Right. <laughs> you can, yeah, in some yeah. supermarkets, you can even check yourself out. And right. the Palos, right. and it, it, this didn't really sink into me. It, I mean, I had been there many, many times as a customer, but it didn't really sink in until I started working on the book how different it is. You're, there's no product information written down. There's no there's right. often not prices. So you have to have a conversation, and then you learn more about it, and it's really, really nice. Figure out what's there, John. Did you have something to say? Oh no, I'm okay. Okay, we, <laughs> I was gonna, I was just going to touch on like the uh, the forcefulness and all these new uh, uh, places where you buy artisan food. How they do that? They want to bring that back too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Connection. I, I appreciate that for sure. Uh, okay, we're going to have a quick little commercial interlude, and we'll be right back chatting more about this book, which we've only skimmed the surface of. To Snow Mine Hologram. Forgot just what it felt like to feel his bones burning inside. The following program was brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards and Sons. Edwards Suriano hams are aged to perfection for no less than 400 days and hickory smoked to achieve a deep mahogany color. The Edwards name is well known for its world-class aged and cured meats. Their exclusive curing and aging recipe produces a unique flavor profile that enhances the quality characteristics of Berkshire pork. Optimum amounts of pure white fat marbling contribute to a flavor that's a delicate, perfect balance between sweet and salty. 
For more information, visit edwardsvaham.com. This is Clay Gordon of thechocolatelife.com, and you're listening to heritageradionetwork.org. All right, we're back chatting with Lou DiPaolo, author of DiPaolo's Guide to the Essential Foods of Italy, and the co-writer, Rachel Wharton, and also John Taggart, who's mm-hmm. hanging out here. Photographer. Extraordinaire. Um, so, okay, we talked a little bit about cheese, but this book is also divided into sections that explore uh, vinegar, sea salt, olive, and olive oil, and coffee. So why these... Um, Groups and and of course within them there's a lot of other talk like prosciutto pasta. Um, you know, it's, it's was v- it hard to? It's very hard. Categories. It's, it's very, okay. No, what's very hard is to choose what mm. we were going to put into the book. You know, Italian food is so widespread and there's so many wonderful products of of uh, foods of Italy and I mm. and I would have loved to put each and every one of them. Yeah. in this book. Unfortunately, the book needed to be a certain size, <laughs> and I had to select what I thought was basically the essential foods of Italy. And, okay. and of course, uh, cheese is one of them, and some of the cured meats are one, but, but not, by all means, there's so much more. I know. I'm I would, really looking forward I would, to I would the love sequel. To, yeah, oh, me too. <laughs> I, I would non- have loved to talk about risotto, yeah. the different types of rice that Italy has and the, and the unique properties each have. I'd love to talk about the wonderful chocolates that Italy mm-hmm. has from Sicily all the way up to Piemonte and, and, the, and the other artisan-type uh, candies such as Torone, the mm-hmm. nougat candy that Italy tries to take claim for, but actually it originated in, in probably the Mideast somewhere. Oh, okay. But, but, but there is so much more. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the types of bread is even a, a wonderful story in, in yeah. Italy from Sardinia where they have this flatbread called, we call Carta di Musica, or Pana Carosau, to the bread from, from Altamora in Puglia, or the Pizza Bianca, which is a, a flattened, flattened uh, uh, focaccia bread from from Rome, all through Italy, the Piadina, they have these different breads. I would love to have included all this. Mm-hmm. We just didn't have the, uh, the well, space. Well, you've for done it. a lot because it, it occurs to me. You know, our our knowledge uh, culturally um, or popular culture of of Italian foods has a lot to do with who's saying what, who's using what, who's who's bringing back their most beloved products and. And you've been a huge part of that. I, I try to have products that would invoke memory as well. You know, Italy is one of the most favored travel places for Americans. Mm-hmm. And when they go to Italy and they go to a specific region, and that's why I try to cover it within these products as many regions as possible. Because, you know, Italy, 20 regions, mm-hmm. each with their own personality and, and food products. If you've been there, I wanted to invoke some of the memory. The book is not just about information, information through the stories of, of experiences of how I learned about these products. And, and throughout the book, there are other, other messages that I tried to, to bring forth, messages pertaining to my grandparents and, yeah. and, 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 the, and the special uh, uh, relationship they had with their community, uh, uh, balsamic vinegar and, and the traditions of balsamic vinegar not just what is it but the traditions of it and and this and the story behind it so fits that mm. that agridolce sweet and sour uh complexity of balsamic vinegar so is life 
I enjoy the personal touches. I really like how you also said that you refer to Italy as 20 countries in one because the regions uh, just go back in time with history and unique cultures within them. It's, so it, it's, it's a younger country than the United States. Mm-hmm. And, and for the last hundred and some odd years that it's been a, uh, been a country, it's taken time for them to really come together because they're mm. so proud of their individual regions. And in some cases, their own provinces within the region are so diverse. They actually legally changed the number of provinces in Italy while we were working on the book. (laughs) Which I think they've done many times in the past. Quite quite a few, but doesn't mean that people accept it. (laughs) I know. The Italians sometimes have difficulty accepting it. So I wanted to talk about a slightly different topic, um, but sort of owing to the enthusiasm, the passion, and like the heritage of Italian foods that has continued to live on and and thanks to your work and popular culture um you know we've seen a lot of folks making mozzarella and now cured meats in the vein of the italian uh traditions in america um in the last few like there's la quercia making uh cured meats and um you know several cheesemakers doing european style cheeses of all kinds and breads um, what, what are your thoughts on, on that? You know, I, I've been saying in the last few years that America is trying to become like Europe and mm-hmm. is really achieving that. And Europe is be- trying to become like America. <laughs> and I don't know if that's such a good thing. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, with, with, our, with the, all the, the green markets that are opening up, with yeah. all these artisan producers that are, are going in, trying to make it work in some cases, you know, hard work and, and, and passion doesn't pay the bills in some cases it does and uh, I remember when Herb La Quercia first started and his product is is absolutely fantastic wonderful but what is a testament of how good his product is Mm -hmm. is the fact that it's more expensive than some of the finest Italian products that come in Uh and why is it more expensive is because it's made on such a small scale and it's made with so much uh, attention to detail and deserves to be more expensive. And he's able to do it, and uh, I commend him for it. Fantastic. Uh, you know, as, as, and as wonderful and as much as I love his product, my place is sort of a place that wants to represent the foods of Italy. Right. Naturally, if we can't get a certain product from Italy, we're going to source the best producer, and he is certainly one of the best producers certain products. Very interesting, yeah, how it's evolved. Um, and of course, you're still making house-made mozzarella and ricotta sure. made with milk grown in this when, <laughs> yes. country. Well, so. you, know, you, you got to remember, when my great-grandfather came here, there was no way to get a fresh no mozzarella from Italy. I mm-hmm. mean, they had uh, steamships that had no refrigeration, and by the time it would be two or three days out to sea, the product would be no good anymore. Maybe even the same day, it wouldn't be any good anymore. But uh, in the advent of air transportation, refrigeration mm-hmm. cargo, uh, you're able to get a lot more of these highly perishable products. What would you say to a lot of the sort of new, uh, new, new generation of artisanal makers in America who might be trying to make products in the same vein as the, the you know DOP protected rituals that have been practiced and honed over centuries in Italy. 
Well, uh, it, it comes. With, it's a challenge. It's yeah. a challenge to maintain uh, the quality, the integrity of the product, as well as maintaining the the rules and regulations that our government puts into place. I mean, recently the government was stopping cheesemakers aging cheese on wood boards, right? And, and or raw and, milk or something. Well, yeah. and raw milk, raw milk. I could understand why they don't want you to use raw milk, but you can. If you meet certain requirements, aging the cheese for a certain length of time, and using raw milk from dairies that are that you go and inspect and see that they're clean yeah. and, and, and and a healthful environment and the cows are well treated, so I mean it, it requires effort and it requires a lot of uh, dedication to uh, to really make totally. sure ensure that you're going to be able to provide the consumer not only with a great product but also a healthful product. Yeah, That's different set the of challenge, challenge and different terroir. Challenge. Um, so what would you say to consumers who might be trying to eat uh, only locally made foods? <laughs> I, you know, I admire it, I, you know, yeah. and, I, and I try to eat as much locally produced uh, vegetables. Um, but remember... Local means the environment that you're eating from is in a local environment. Mm-hmm. In food, especially in food products, the food will take the flavor of the environment. Right. The cows feeding, for instance, in Italy in the mountains, the milk will taste a lot different than cows that are feeding in the valley. And the cheese that it gives, gives off will have different can, connotations. Right. One region to another region. Climate, Right. Mm-hmm. Soil composition, all this plays a role. So, locally made, locally produced vegetables are great because not only of the freshness, but you're actually eating within your own right. You're experiencing your, your own, own environment, but at the same time, it, it, you're missing out on. You have a lot of limitations. You have yeah, a lot of limitations. yeah. Right. But strict locovores can actually eat the palos mozzarella and ricotta because the milk comes from here too and it's made in manhattan it's just an interesting conundrum with uh, the two kind of forces of slow food and local food combining as one because you know these traditions that are that people are making foods in in italy are are so practiced and and so careful and so thoughtful and slow and and yet they're imported so it's 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 a really interesting kind of movement that's happening and you get to see both sides um well uh do you have any events coming up for the book well yeah uh this weekend coming i'm going to be in uh, newport rhode island Mm -hmm. newport they have what they call the mansions the newport mansions food and wine festival and every year i do some seminars and i speak about uh in this year i'm going to be speaking about some of the very special products from the Veneto, some cheeses from the Veneto, specifically Grana Padano, which is one of the most historic cheeses of Italy. And uh, it's not as widely known in this country as, as of yet. Parmigiano. As Parmigiano-Reggiano. Right. But it certainly has an older history. The, where it comes from, when we were talking about areas, it comes from above the Po River. Mm-hmm. This very fertile grasslands from this uh, Po Valley. It's, we call it the breadbasket of so Italy. So the, the difference is where it's made. Where it's yeah. made, where it's made, and uh, also the the, um, the amount of fat that's in the cheese. If you're comparing it to Parmigiano, mm-hmm. it's a little less fat. 
tends to be very sweet, but yet uh, the protein crunch, that little granular yeah, crystals that you I get, that. are very intense. Mm. Great. Okay. That sounds like a fun event. Definitely check that out. Um, I just am dying to ask, uh, do you have an all-time favorite cheese of yours? I got in a lot of trouble one year when <laughs> I was doing an interview for a, for a magazine, a specialty food magazine, and and they cornered me and they said, what's your favorite cheese? I said, oh, my, I, you know, I have over 300 cheeses that uh, we represent. And, right. and I, I love them all and all. But if I had to choose one cheese, I had to choose a really good piece of Dolce Gorgonzola. Ooh. And they wrote that in, this, in the article. And it, this magazine was given out in the uh, San Francisco Fancy Food Show. And I can't. And I was there that year giving seminars, and I can't believe how many of the other cheesemakers came in and said, <laughs> "Luigi, why didn't you say my cheese was your favorite?" You know, I got in a lot of trouble. I thought I thought you were going to say squacaroni. That's, well, that's squ- John's favorite cheese well, from De Palos. Yeah, yeah, squacaroni. Believe it or not, believe it or not, gorgonzola is an offshoot of the cheese called stracchino, and stracchino and squacaroni are first cousins. So it's it's there were, before there was a name Gorgonzola, it was known as Blue Stracchino. So it's sort of you're in the same ballpark, Gorgonzola yeah. with a little bit of blue vein. You're on the right track. That's in our that's in the Mountain Cheese chapter. There's a little bit of the history of Gorgonzola in there, right? Yes. Well, it sounds like you picked an interesting cheese. So I, I can't wait to read that chapter. I haven't gotten to that. All right. Well, that's about all the time we have for today. But thank you again, uh, Lou and Rachel and John. Congrats on the book. Thank you Check so it much. out. Just out now from, Rant- from Ballantine Books. And uh, thanks, everyone, at Heritage. We'll see you next week on Eat Your Words. listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org you can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the itunes store by searching heritage radio network you can like us on facebook and follow us on twitter at heritage underscore radio you can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org heritage radio network is a 501c3 non-profit to donate and become a member visit our website today thanks for listening